You may be seated. Does anybody uh, remember the the preacher from Little House on the Prairie? Anybody remember him? Somebody needs to tell me before the end of the day uh, what his name was, all right? Because I remember, I mean, this was years and years ago, I remember, I wrote it down, uh, this quote from that preacher, and I think it was a very good quote, one that I would like to use. He said, there is not enough darkness in the entire world to put out the light of even one small candle. What do you think? Pretty good? Not enough darkness in the entire world to put out the light of even one small candle. That's the power of light. That is the phenomenon of light. As you take a look there at your notes, we want to begin with this. Light was one of the very first things that God created. Remember Genesis 1, first day, God said, let there be light. In the evening and the morning was the very first day. Now, scientists will tell you today that that matter and energy have as their source light. In other words, without light, there couldn't be matter, there could not be the energy to create matter in the first place. And as we read through that account of Genesis, we see that life does not come until the third day. Light always comes before life, even for us. And so before that, the world was a very dark and scary place until God created light. But all the way through history, we see that this is the case. Even in Bible times, it was a very dark and scary place. They didn't have flashlights, didn't have your car with the headlights when you were driving along to illuminate the road. In fact, you were walking in darkness most of the time. You were traveling at night. And so Jesus said that we are to be like a city on a hill because in those days they always built the cities, they built the towns on the sides of hills or even on mountains. So as you were traveling, you could see where your destination would be. All you had to do was look into the distance. We know that darkness can be scary. How many of us growing up or our children today will will come in the middle of a thunderstorm to our bedroom or to our bed and say, Mommy, Mommy, or Daddy, Daddy, I'm afraid of the dark, and they want to be with us. Just last night, I was with uh, Sharon, and we were, we were at Veterans Acres, and we were doing the, um, the luminary walk. Did anybody do that this week? Yeah, it was really cool, wasn't it? Yeah. And whatever day you were there earlier in the week, last night, it was, it was really crowded, but it was, it was so nice when it got dark, they had each of those candles lit, and you could find your way along the path. We all need that, that illumination. We need that light to show us where to go. Now, in Bible times, it wasn't just scary when people were traveling at night, but also when they returned home. Unlike here, where we have lots of windows, or your homes, where you have lots of windows and electricity, they usually have one window. And it usually faced the east side because that's where the sun comes up. It would light the room in the morning and then 
Well, about middle afternoon, when the, when the sun is on the other side, it gets, it, it gets dark again. So they had a light in their homes, kind of like this, kind of like a, handle, a candle. Now, these candles are filled with oil, not wax in here, but oil. And in a similar way, the people in the Bible would have a bowl filled with oil. And they would simply lay a wick in it, light the wick, and then it would burn the oil. And they would put it on a stand, something like this, to illuminate the house. But here's the problem. They didn't have lighters. They didn't have matches. So if that thing ever goes out, you're in big trouble. Unless you have Boy Scout training, you're not getting that thing lit again. (laughs) So what they would do when they would leave the house, because they didn't want it to get knocked over, they wanted to protect it, they would cover it with an earthen vessel, so like a, a big clay pot. would have enough air in it. It would have a little hole in the top so it could still burn and not go out, but it would be protected. But what's the whole point of light? It's to shine. It's to illuminate the room. So, obviously, as soon as they return home, they take off the cover to let the light shine. Now, it's our point for today that we are to be the light of the world. And so we begin with this, with this metaphor of light because our message today isn't about flashlights and, and bright shining lights and, and electricity. It's not about the physical, but it's about the spiritual and the eternal. And so it wasn't long, as we see in the Bible, that there are all these metaphors For light, the psalmist writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Just like the little kids aren't afraid when you turn on the light. There's nothing in this world for us to fear. No evil, no sin, not even death. No darkness whatsoever that that light cannot overcome. So the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Absolutely nothing. Isaiah prophesies to the people who were living in a very dark time. They They were in captivity to Babylon. They could no longer worship in the temple. They were oppressed. And so the people walking in darkness. Isaiah says, one day you will have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. But again, the light is not just an idea. It's not just a metaphor. It's a person. It's God himself. Who will one day come into the world. And John says then, after he sees him, he says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, and I crossed out in my notes, will not, because it's not just in the past, it's in the present and the future, and cannot. It is the nature of light that the light always controls the darkness. And so if I were to ask you, if we were doing a children's message, we had all the kids up here, and I would ask you, kids, who is the light of the world? What would you say? Go ahead and shout it out. What would you say? Jesus, right? It's always the answer, always, right? When in doubt, it's Jesus. Well, we say Christ, the anointed one, his title. Christ is the light of the world. And yet, if you asked anybody who was not of the faith, 
did not know Jesus, just talking in physical terms, what would the world say? The sun, right? The sun. I mean, you see it every day. It comes out unless there's clouds, but even so, there is light that illuminates everything. Let's just do a little bit of a, of a comparison here. Um, does anybody know? Now, this is a science question. I'm an old science teacher, so if you memorize this and you know this, you get an A, right? All right, we can round off. It's okay. I don't have to have exact numbers. Approximately how far away is the sun from the earth? A long ways, did somebody say? Come on. That's a long ways away, of course. Anybody? I didn't hear it. 93, how many? Million miles. Now, that is a long way, I will grant you. 93 million miles. And yet, we can still see it every day, and it warms up the earth. Now, to put it in perspective, if you're a baby, and you're born today, and you're going to fly to the sun. Now, I know you can't do this, but if you could, you're flying to the sun. Starting today, it would take you traveling at 150 miles per hour, which is pretty fast, 71 years to get to the sun. That is a long way away. You see the magnitude of the sun, 93 million miles, and yet we can see it every day. It is 109 times the diameter of the earth, 109 times as large as the earth. And the energy that it creates, that it creates is extraordinary. Now, how many of you have a, have a, a, a sports car? Anybody with a sports car? What's, uh, what's the horsepower in a, in a big engine, a V8? I'm not a car guy. I, I looked it up. It said a Ford Mustang with a V8 can produce 450 horsepower. That's pretty big, I guess, pretty good. A lot of energy, right? The sun, just in one square yard, so about like this, one square yard produces 70,000 horsepower of energy every single minute. 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface of the sun. And yet, the sun is not the light of the world. Christ is the light. His impact, his power far outshines the sun. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When the light of Christ is in us, we can overcome the darkness. We overcome sin and evil and one day death itself. And what's really amazing is Jesus then says, you are the light of the world. Yes, that same power, that same impact is reflected in you. And so Jesus calls us to be men and women and children for others. Just as Jesus and his focus was on others, so also for us. And so as a church, as a congregation, as individual believers, our mission is simply to shine the light of Christ, to be a reflected light, just like the moon and the planets 
reflect the light of the sun, we also are to reflect the light of Christ. Now, I'm going to digress here a little bit. Those of you who who studied communication, maybe in college or maybe in, in your career, maybe in your job, have you ever heard of the Moravian method or effect it's sometimes called? Maybe not, but you probably have heard of, heard of this, the second part. Have you heard of this? Actions speak louder than words. Has anybody ever said that? Is it true? Of course it is. So what Moravian said was that when it comes to credibility and when it comes to communication, about 55% of your credibility, in other words, in how people hear you, is not in your words but in your body language. And we all know that to be true. I can tell when you were bored. Right? We know when people aren't really listening. Right? We can tell by body language if you're into it or not, if you're actually listening. 55%, so actions speak louder than words. Actually, about 38% is the tone of your voice, how you say the words, and only 7% is in the actual words themselves. And so when we listen to people and we believe them, when their actions match up with their words. And so as, as Christians, we often say, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk, which is more important just from what you have just learned or now already know. It's the actions. Of course, we are to share our faith. We are to tell others about the light of Christ, about the Savior of the world. But if our actions are not congruent with the words, no one is going to believe us. Our light is reflected from what Christ and the disciples and the generations before us have done. Now, here's some really good news. Emmanuel is a congregation, and and you collectively are a great light. Truly, you are. This congregation shows the love of Jesus Christ, reflects his light in hundreds of different ways. And I could give you a whole long list. I'm just going to mention a couple of them. Just talking about this last weekend. So yesterday, some of you were here and we were doing a, not me, I just come to these things. I don't actually do anything. (laughs) But we had this, this gingerbread-making event, gingerbread house. Some of you were here, and the, and the children were making the, the gingerbread houses. But the really cool thing about it was there were then donations taken, and it benefited uh, Head Start. Just like our giving tree out there where you take the tags off, and it helps kids who aren't going to have a Christmas otherwise, so also the event yesterday. And they had this whole stack of toys and boxes and, and gifts over there on the other side of the wall reflects the light of Christ. And Friday night, some of you were here, the ladies were here. Uh, well, two men, moi and the guy who's behind all the stuff back there, right? You see, we know people. That's why we get invited, right? We don't have to do anything. We just come and we eat the cake. That's what we do. So anyways, all these ladies were here, Advent by candlelight, and they collected all this stuff for the Crystal Lake Food Pantry. And a lot of you participated earlier during Thanksgiving. Does anybody know how much Emmanuel collected for the Crystal Lake Food Pantry? Any guesses? 1,000 pounds? 2,000 pounds? 
almost 3,000 pounds. That's a ton and a half. That's a little bit more than I weigh after Thanksgiving dinner, so that's pretty good. That's what you're doing. And I could go on and on and on. There was uh, 21 people who went to Tijuana this summer, built three homes, not just houses, but homes for those who were living in basically cardboard boxes. There are, there's a whole group of people that, that calls those who are over 70 years old every month in our congregation just to see how they're doing. Now they're writing Christmas cards to all of those people to help bring a little light into their world. We have another group of ladies that pack boxes for our college kids, give them care packages so they would know that we're thinking of them and they're not left out. And again, I could go on and on, but the point, it reflects the light of Jesus Christ. And there are so many people that are living in the darkness that need that light. I asked one lady, you know, why she served so much, why she did all of these things, and I think she summarized it up for a lot of people very well when she said, when I am serving, I can be the light of Christ. And even though I'm not reading the Bible any more than I was before, I'm not praying any differently, but I can feel his presence so much more in me. Or as Dana Robinson, I, and I told her I was going to quote her. If I don't quote her exactly, uh, she can correct me later. But on Friday night, she was speaking to the ladies and she said something like this. On Christmas Eve, you know, when we're, we're all here for the Christmas Eve services and we have our candles and we light someone else's candle, when you do that, your light is not diminished. You don't lose that light even as you share it with someone else. Amazing, isn't it? Our faith and our light is not diminished as we share it, but in fact it often grows. There was a man, and he was having some car trouble. Late in the evening, you know how it is, and you can't, find a shop or a place you don't have roadside assistance but he did find a little garage and he pulled in and it was dark and the mechanic is beginning to look underneath the hood to see what the trouble might be he thought that he might be able to fix it and he asked his helper who had a very bright flashlight just to shine there into the darkness under the recesses of the hood and he did and it's very powerful light was shining there on that engine so that the mechanic could fix the car. But the helper got a little distracted. <laughs> Something caught his attention, and, and he pulled the flashlight away. And so the mechanic kind of, a, you know, humorously, he, he shouted at him, and he said, Shine your light, man! What are you here for anyway? I think the same thing could be asked of us. Shine your light. If not, what are you doing here? Anyway, as the people of God, the light of Christ is in us. Let's fuel that light as we come to worship, as we join in fellowship, as we hear the word of God, 
as we're filled with the Lord's Supper. And then let's shine that light into a world that is desperate to get out of the darkness. And remember again the saying of that old preacher, there isn't enough darkness in the world to put out the light of even the smallest candle. And that is you. May God grant that your light would burn brightly and shine into the lives of others during this season of Christmas. Let's all rise. Someone once said that there is not enough darkness in the entire world to put out the light in even one small candle. Think about that. Not enough darkness in the entire world. That's a lot of darkness that is going to put out the light of even one small candle. Light always overcomes the darkness. In fact, you cannot have complete and total darkness if there is even a single point of light. So light is this phenomenal thing that God has created. We, we read in Genesis chapter 1, on the very first day, when there was nothing, and it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that was the very first day, evening and morning. Now, if you go just a couple of verses later in Genesis, we see that it is not until the third day that life is created. First plants, and then the fish in the sea, and the birds in the air. And finally, on the sixth day, animals and human beings, which is the, the pinnacle of God's creation. But all of that began with light. Scientists will tell you today that matter and energy are closely related. But first came the light. And we know what life would be like, or at least we can imagine what it would be like if there was no light at all. So how many of you have ever been in a power outage? It happens, doesn't it? No, way too often. And what do you do? Well, if you have a generator, you turn that on. If you have flashlights, you bring them out. If you have candles, you light those. And why do you do that? So there is a light. We don't like the darkness. How many of our children, or maybe you, one time or another, was afraid of the dark? And so you turn, yeah, I know, me too, turn on the light. We don't like the darkness. The light comes into the world, because the world was a very dark and scary place. And it's been that way. So if you go back to Bible times, we don't, we don't have flashlights, we don't have electricity, we don't have headlights on our cars to, to pave the way, to shine the light in the darkness. And so travelers would often be very wary of those who might be there in the dark, criminals and robbers and, and those who might accost them. And so they were told, and Jesus told his disciples as well, always look for the town, look for the city. It's built on a hill so that you can see the light, so you can see your destination. But you know, even when you got to the end of the road, to the place where you were going, and you got home, 
still dark because they didn't have windows like we do today. They did not have electricity. In fact, most of the houses in Israel would have just one window. So imagine your house. How many windows do you have? Go home and count them, Clark. How many are there? There's bunches, right? You can tell me next week. About nine? Yeah, probably, at least. Right, some of you have 20, 30, 40 windows in your house. You count all the panes, there are hundreds to let the light shine in. So just one window. On the east side, sun comes up in the morning, there's light. But then by the middle of the afternoon, because you only have one window, the light begins to fade. So what the people would do is they would have something like this, not a candle, but a bowl. These are all filled with oil. Wick on the top and you light those. The bowl would be put on a lampstand just like this. And it would provide light for the house. Problem is, though, if it ever goes out, it is very difficult to light. Yeah, no, no lighters, no matchbooks. So if this thing goes out, you're in big trouble. You have to be like an Eagle Scout to get this thing lit again, right? So what people would do when they left, they would take the lamp from the stand, they would put it on the floor in a place where it was very safe, and they would put an earthen bowl, like a flower pot, over it with a hole in the top, so it would have enough air, it could still burn, but it would do so safely, not start the house on fire. But what's the point of having a lamp? Shine. So you would take off that bowl once again. Now we're talking about physical light so that we can get a better understanding of spiritual and emotional light and darkness. It's no surprise then, as we look at our Bible verses here, that we have this metaphor, this image of light throughout Scripture, talking not about batteries and electricity and, and physical power, but spiritual. And so we have this verse in the Psalms. It says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? People are afraid of the dark, physical darkness. Well, there's an emotional, spiritual darkness. It's caused by that junk that Dana was talking about with the children. When sin clouds our lives, then... Our outlook is not very bright anymore when we see the evil in the world. Turn on the news these days and it's usually not very bright. It's not very good. And so our, our whole demeanor begins to sag and, and fall into the darkness. So the psalmist writes, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, no one and nothing because the light always overcomes the darkness. But then the prophet Isaiah goes even further. Light's not just an idea. It's not just a metaphor. It's a person. And Isaiah says this, that even though the people are walking in darkness, remember from last week, they're in captivity in, in Babylon. They're oppressed. Their land's been taken away from them. They can't worship God like they had before in the temple. They have a very uncertain future. And so Isaiah writes, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So who is the light? What's always the answer in the children's message? 
Who's the light of the world? Jesus, right? Jesus. We can shout it out. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And so Jesus even affirms that. First, John, his cousin, says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. And now here's something you could do. You have your notes there where it says the darkness has not. We can make it bolder than that, can't we? Not just the future where the darkness has not overcome it. What about now? The darkness will not overcome it, or the darkness cannot overcome it, because the light always crowds out the darkness. Now, a little exercise here, since we're talking about physical light. Uh, if you were to ask someone in science class, uh, or your teacher, or maybe someone who isn't, uh, isn't as in tune as you are with what we're talking about today, if you asked, what is the light of the world, what would the answer be? This is not a trick question, anyone? The sun, right? We talked about the sun. The sun is the light of the world. It it lights up the earth. It warms up the earth. It is responsible for the life uh, that we have here. So, science question. You get an A if you get this one right. This is a one-question quiz. All right? How many miles is the sun from the earth? Now, it doesn't have to be exact, exact to the mile. We'll round up to the nearest million. 93, there you go. You get an A. 93, you were, you were paying attention in science class, 93 million miles. Now, that's a really, really long ways, isn't it? Let's put it in perspective. Let's say that you were born today. All right, you're a baby, brand new. You are going to fly to the sun. If you could, you're going to fly to the sun And you can travel 150 miles an hour, which is pretty fast, right? Any guesses on how many years it would take you to reach the sun? Do the math. You can do it at home. About 71 years. So slightly older than I am, right? 71 years to get from here to there. That's how far away the sun is, and yet... It has so much energy that it lights up the earth and it powers the life that is here. A couple other things. Uh, Anybody have a a sports car? I'm only asking this because I don't know anything about cars. Uh, You know, a big engine? What's a big engine? How many horsepower in a big engine? Anybody? I don't know. 450, 500? Is that a big engine? That's pretty good, right? All right. Now, I, I didn't know this. And I don't know if it's true, I read that a V8 Ford Mustang, do they even make those? I thought they were four cylinders. I don't know. So V8 Ford Mustang 2023 produces about 450 horsepower. Pretty big engine, okay? I don't know, pretty big? All right, now the sun in one square yard. So what's this? It's about a yard, square yard, pretty close, right? All right, in one square yard, our Ford Mustang, 450 horsepower. The sun, just in that one square yard, now it's 109 times the diameter of the earth. So all of that, but just one little square yard here, produces 70,000 horsepower per minute. The 
power of the sun is immense. It is incredible in the energy that it produces. And yet the Bible does not say that the sun is the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. He is the one who overcomes the darkness. He is the one who overcomes the sin in our lives. He is the one who overcomes death. So it has no power over us. Jesus indeed is the light of the world. And yet, this is almost as incredible. Jesus then says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Just like the moon reflects the light of the sun, God says you are to reflect the light of Christ. Just as the light of God, his love and and his power is within you. As you're fueled by his word, as you have been adopted by God in baptism, then you are also to shine that light for others. In fact, that's our purpose. It's our mission as a church and as individuals. Now, I have to tell you that Emmanuel is a wonderful church, and I, I truly mean this. I see this all the time. And I can just recount the last couple of days where so many of you were shining the light of Jesus Christ. Just yesterday, we had an event here, and there were a number of kids and, and their, their parents and grandparents and they were building gingerbread houses, and that was wonderful. They had a lot of fun doing it, uh, eating the candy as much as putting it on the house. <laughs> but it was for a cause. It raised money for those who probably aren't going to have toys for Christmas. For our friends at Head Start, shining the light of Christ. And then Friday night, this whole room was filled with about 125 of the the women and their friends of the church, Advent by candlelight. Again, just a wonderful evening, the light of Christ. We had the, the physical enhancement of our space through the lighting of candles and the lights here. It was an amazing experience. But again, those ladies brought gifts, not for themselves, but for others, just as Jesus instructed us to do. And so they took all of these things and they took them to the, or are going to take them to the Crystal Lake Food Pantry. You did the same, a lot of you, for Thanksgiving. Does anybody know how much Emmanuel collected? Any guesses? Thousand pounds? Two thousand pounds? Almost three thousand pounds of food. Can feed families for months and months on end. Now, those are just a couple of examples. I could give you a whole lot more. There are a number of you who call our elderly in the church every single month without fail just to see how they're doing. You're writing Christmas cards as well in the month of December. There's a group that put together care packages for our college kids so they don't feel neglected, so they can remain connected to the church as well. Our children's director, Dana, seeing a a group of 21 others went to Tijuana, Mexico this past summer, build not just houses, but homes for those who have virtually nothing. Shining the light of Jesus Christ. 
over and over and over again. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So there was a man, and he was uh, having some car trouble. We'll get back to our car analogy here. <laughs> some of you can relate to this. You're ever driving along, and, and something isn't going right in your car. It's happened to me several times lately. It's not a, not a good feeling. So this man, and it's not me, but in the story, this man, he finds a small garage. So there was, there was a, a positive thing going on here, and, and the mechanic said, yeah, I'll look at it. It's not too late. But because it's dark, he needs some light, so he has his helper. So an apprentice, an assistant, and he says, shine the light there on the engine so I can see what's going on, so I can fix it. And the helper does just that. He has a powerful floodlight, shines the light there right into the car, and so the mechanic begins to fix the problem. But then the helper, he's distracted. He sees something else. It grabs his attention. And the light then no longer shines in the right place. And so the mechanic, he kind of yells out, he's a little irritated, but he's also kind of trying to do this in a humorous way. He says, hey man, shine your light. What are you here for anyway? Couldn't that be said of us? Hey man, woman, child, shine your light. What are you here for anyway? It is our mission as a people of God to reflect the light of Jesus Christ, to chase away the darkness, the darkness that so often pervades the world and invades the lives of the people around us. Now, it's been said that you can't give away what you don't have. Here's the good news. You have the light of Jesus Christ. He already lives in you. And you can feel that light just like you're doing today, coming to hear the Word of God. You can do that at home as well and with the fellowship of God's people. And in a few moments when you come up and feed yourselves again with the good stuff, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, when you receive His blessing and His encouragement, not only that the junk, the bad stuff, the evil, the sins in your life have been cleansed, but the light of Christ grows in you. And as someone said the other night, just as we take a candle, and on Christmas Eve we have that ritual of lighting the candles of others, when you do so, your light is not lessened. You're simply sharing it with another. In fact, so often when we share our light, our light grows, doesn't it? So it's my prayer for each one of you during this Advent and Christmas season that you would shine the light. What was that quote again at the beginning? Though the entire darkness of the world were all put together, it cannot put out the light of even one small candle. Your candle is lit. Now go and shine the light of Christ. Let's all rise now.